I'm Stephen DeKemper. And I'm Noble Gray. We are two and up-and-coming cinematographers. Come with us on our journey as we discuss all things cinematography and celebrate some of the most well-known films. This is the Cine Hour Podcast. There he is. Hey, buddy. Hey, man. What's up? We're back. We made it. 2021. <laughs> That's right. So I sent the uh, link to Chris as well, so I'm sure he'll... Oh, there he is. Hello. Hey. Good to have you, sir. Thanks for doing this, man. Absolutely. Thank you for having me. Yeah, for okay. Sure. So I'm speeding on my separate device right now. Do you guys use anything particular for your separate uh, recording device? Just like an iPad or another phone or something like that to use the uh, Voice Memos app. Okay, perfect. Yeah, I have an iPhone 4 that I'm using. <laughs> it sounds surprisingly good. Well, all right. I'm recording on my separate one right now, too. Sounds sweet. Okay. okay. Now, just a little word of caution, just because I've done this like twice and messed up the whole thing. Oh, but you're... Okay, Chris, are you using AirPods or like wired buds? Uh, wired earbuds. Okay. Just make sure like not to unplug them because that could disrupt the, yeah. whole, the whole thing. Oh, okay. I got you. Just, yeah. All right, so let me put this to the side. That's oh, I'm gonna turn my headphones down so it doesn't bleed. Forgetting how to do all this. Okay, here we go. I know it's been a while, right? Yeah, yeah. All right, I'm ready now. I know, Stephen, you always open it up, but do you kind of want to switch it up or kind of do that same thing? Yeah, I'll um, I'll open it up right. like a decent little intro, and then I'll you know transition over to you, and you can you know kind of. You know, do with it as you wish. <laughs> Great. Yeah. Okay, cool. And we'll give it a beat. Okay, guys, we are back. Back at it again. This is actually, I'm here with my good friend, uh, Noble Gray. And this is our first recording, first episode in 2021. And I know I remember our last episode was Fifty Shades of Noble Gray. Where we learned a lot about you. And I'm glad to know that your new year went well and working title, working, working. <laughs> no, <laughs> yes. Yes. So, I mean, how's your 2021 been so far? I can't complain. I'm blessed. I'm happy and I'm ready to get back into it. Yeah. Yeah. Same here. So we have a special guest today, a gentleman by the name of Chris Bond. And this is someone who you have worked with quite a bit, Noble. And did you want to kind of introduce him and let us know some of the things you've worked with him on and how you guys met and all that? Yeah, yeah. Let's dive right in. So, Chris Bond, thank you for joining us on the Cine Hour podcast today. How are you doing? I'm doing really well, Noble. Thank you guys for having me on. I'm uh, This is my first podcast, so you guys are uh, monumental for me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, for sure, man. Yeah, when we started this, you were one of the first people I thought of to get on the list and yeah, we're very excited to talk to you today. So now, Chris and I have a little bit of history, well, kind of a lot of history. We met back in the year 2012. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah. We actually met on, I think, my second movie ever in Los Angeles. Wow. Right, right. Which was I Hate You, correct? <laughs> the, yeah, that was the name of the movie. That wasn't like personal feelings at the time. <laughs> <laughs> well that yeah so i hate you independent feature film so get this i graduate high school and my high school film teacher 
is the uh, producer of this independent feature called I Hate You. Oh, wow. And she brings me on to this film in the G&E department. And lo and behold, it was kind of an interesting experience because I kind of met like three of Chris's friends before I actually started working with Chris. There was a guy named Jake. There was a Rich Robles. And then there was Jonathan Mahoney. Yep. Yeah. And they were all like gaffers for like, a day here, a couple of days there. And then finally Chris comes in and then he's the gaffer for the rest of the film. And then I somehow get turned into a key grip and the rest is kind of history. Yeah. Chris taught me so much of what I know about, you know, lighting and, and just being a cinematographer in, in general. And it was just a great crash course for me on that movie. And yeah, we were going to work time after time after time together on various things and what i want to get to right now is your first feature film that you shot back in 2015 fishes and loaves oh boy um (laughs) 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 so that sounds uh, like it's a good time yeah no it was it definitely was (laughs) film starring dina meyer patrick muldoon who we will talk more about in a second but yeah, tell us about that experience of shooting your first feature film. You know, it was pretty eye-opening because, I don't know, I came in thinking like, oh my God, I'm going to do the best job. I'm gonna, All the visuals are going to line up. All the lighting is going to be amazing. This is going to be terrific. I'm going to make my mark on cinema history <laughs> with the well-known Fishes and Loaves movie. And what I found out was that that wasn't necessarily the case. And that time is money and nobody's really interested in necessarily your art as much as they are about getting things done. Right. And it's kind of where the rubber met the road on this particular movie. But, uh, I mean, with that said, I'll never forget the movie. The movie was a blast just because it was my first time shooting a feature and having to deal with the amount of problems that just pop up on a normal shoot. Mm -hmm. And, you know, honestly, my favorite moment of the whole thing wasn't even a a shooting thing. It was Noble has this really great ability to like, to to mimic people. He has a, he has an ear to mimic people. And one of our actors, Patrick Muldoon, great guy and really enjoyed working with him. And he has a very kind of distinct, kind of laid back surfer type voice and noble sitting with me for 12 hours a day at camera and inevitably he just starts parroting patrick muldoon to me and it didn't even dawn on me how what a dick i was for doing this but like in front of patrick muldoon i was like oh man patrick you should hear noble he does a great impression of you hey noble do your impression of patrick for patrick (laughs) And at that point, my stomach kind of dropped into my feet. Like, this, this is supposed to be between us, Chris, not. So he, he puts me on the spot and um, obviously I knock it out of the park. I do a perfect job. And, uh, <laughs> and he looks at me and what does he say, Chris? Well, I, you did. I'll give you that, bud. You knocked it out of the park. But I think he wasn't particularly happy that you knocked it out of the park. <laughs> He's like, yeah, that's not funny. Yeah, that's not how I sound. It's like, well, yeah, but it is. Sorry. (laughs) 
It's not my fault. You sound like an extra from the Lords of Dogtown. That's not on us. <laughs> the Lords of Dogtown. <laughs> so, I mean, you can obviously there. It was a really fun time on set, and and we got into some pretty silly moments. But I have to say that Chris and I and I've told you this before, but you did an awesome job on the film. I'm grateful that I got to see it, the finished product, and. From going through your choices of the lenses and of the filtration, the contrast ratio, the framing, it all, and this is what we all as cinematographers are like striving for, is that point where it all just kind of comes together, maybe not in the way that we would have anticipated or hoped, as you kind of were mentioning earlier, but the fact that it does come together as an artistic storytelling piece is just you know, super gratifying. And it was really cool to see that. Now, you also mentioned briefly that it was I Hate You was your like second project in Los Angeles. Now you are from Arizona. What particular part of Arizona are you from? Phoenix, born and raised in Phoenix. Born and raised in Phoenix, Arizona. Went to film school there, right? Yeah, I went to a tiny little community college called uh, Scottsdale Community College. And they, at the time, they had this really great film program that, in my opinion, and I don't care who listens to this and disagrees with me, <laughs> rivals any of the state college film schools there because they they were more worried about making sure that you understand about story. Right. Like, obviously, there's a ton of gear that goes into making a movie. But if you're just, it doesn't matter if you have everything you want, if you don't have that foundation of what am I doing? Am I pushing the story? Am I emphasizing what a character is feeling in the moment? If I'm not, then what the fuck am I doing? I'm just kind of standing in the way. And it was really great to go to a college and not pay $100,000 for an education and get as much as I got from the, that film school. Mm-hmm. And how long were you there? I was there. I'm actually, <laughs> I'm married. I've had to have this conversation more than once with my wife <laughs> because she's the complete opposite of me. She's a valedictorian. She's <laughs> just incredibly smart, incredibly intelligent. And yep. she has all of her, just all of her ducks in a row. And I didn't graduate from film school. Mm. I only went for, I think I went for two years and then I just started working and I didn't see the point in continuing my education when I could just go work on the job. And for me, I mean, it's not for everybody, but for me, I've always worked better when I'm just thrown into it right. and mm. start trying to figure it out that way. Steven has uh, a few experiences with that. Yeah, <laughs> quite a few. Just sort of getting into yeah, it. Yeah, man. Yeah. Um, you know, my situation was very, very interesting. But one question I actually do have for you, Chris, is... Yeah. Uh, actually, I have a couple. I've been thinking about some as you've been speaking. But the first one uh, in relation to film school, I mean, what are your views on film school You know, versus no film school? I'll be totally honest with you. I think if you go there with the thought process of I'm here to meet people. Right. I'm here to network. Right. This is more of a networking mm -hmm. type situation. Mm -hmm. Then you're going to be better off for it. But if you're going there thinking that you're going to walk out and become the next Federico Fellini or Steven Spielberg yeah, or happening. what have you. Yeah. It's not going <laughs> to happen. Happening. People are going to, 
Yeah, you're going to have people laughing in your face yeah. when you go to work because it's just unfortunately not the nature of the business. Yeah. You know, it's the best case scenario is you form a relationship or contacts like your whatever friend group you're in in that film school that pay off down the line when you know you guys have disbanded and gone your separate ways and are just kind of working and then randomly your old friend from film school is producing a movie and he remembers you and he sees your reel and is like oh yeah i love this guy he was great in school mm -hmm. and it looks like he's been doing well outside of it let's give him a shot yeah or at least let's interview him yeah yeah, for sure. I mean, that's one of the biggest things that we, Noble and I have said when we, you know, went into our film school versus no film school um, discussion. And one of the biggest things was definitely the networking and connections, networking, you know, the experience with kind of getting, being hands on, getting familiar with some of the equipment. Given that nice. our equipment was kind of archaic, we had an old dinosaur red one. <laughs> <laughs> And it was always rented out because everyone was using it because that was the best camera. But I mean, even outside of that, I just noticed that there were resources, some resources that were there and that they were trying to bring into the school that it seemed like a lot of people really weren't utilizing. So and it's like being aware of whatever your school has to provide and taking advantage of that. But mainly above that, the relationships. So I couldn't agree more with that. And the other question I had for you was in relation to the projects that you and Noble have worked on, what were some of the kind of the things that you've had to overcome as far as obstacles on the shoots that you guys have worked on? Well, I'm thinking of that very first feature I did, that Fishes and Loaves movie. We had, I won't name names, but a department head would just consistently screw stuff up mm -hmm. and we would have to wait and take more time for her to you know figure out the problem and get organized and kind of get going again and after the first couple of days of this you know i started trying to keep track of how much time she was costing because she would inevitably get her stuff done but if it took her an hour and a half to do it now everybody's looking at me and it's like, well, that hour and a half you thought you had, well, that's gone now wow. because, you know, she needed it. So if I'm doing a setup every 30 minutes, now we're talking about three shots that don't exist anymore. It's just like that. And what it taught me was you're never going to have the best case scenario. Mm. There's always going to be problems to deal with. But the biggest thing that it taught me was figure out what your level of acceptability is for your work you know are you okay with 90 percent right or do you need to get to that 95 percent bar yeah is it that big of a difference are you going to be okay with this does it still are you getting it done will it work and it kind of you know it's sobering because nobody talks about that in film school yeah. nobody talks about how you're going to have to figure out like which part of yourself you get to cut off in order to get a movie done. And that that is really, really, really interesting that you say that. And I kind of want to go more into this. And with no, you as well, Noble, have you had to experience this too? Like, where you really, it's like that compromise where you really have to kind of just take a moment to step back and eat shit on your entire plan. <laughs> that, that, your entire plan that you just formulated, you know, all this prep work that you've done 
you know, obviously no shoot is perfect, but like more so on the level that Chris is talking about, kind of just saying like you have to understand, you know, getting to, I guess the question is getting to a level of understanding of what you're okay with compromising with when you do have to compromise. Partially, I, I think I'm still figuring that mm. out. But I mean, yeah, there have been a lot of moments where, let's say I'm going into a short with a shot list that's just, and I'm talking, you know, film school days, with a shot list that's just way too ambitious. And then on the day, things weren't planned and timed out properly. People show up late. The grip truck is behind and, right. and you know, we need the dolly for the first shot. And, oh, we got it. And uh, next thing you know, we've lost two hours on our mm. morning and I have to scratch 10 shots from, you know, the shot list. And uh, then the day just spirals out of control. These are things that have actually happened. I don't know. It's like those moments where you have to start thinking out of the box. It's like, okay, at the end of the day, I'm still an artist. I'm still a storyteller. So I have to be able to utilize these ingredients that I still have within my reach and make something that's delicious at the end of the day. Even though I can't use this anymore, I can't use that anymore. That's kind of how I liken it. And as I mentioned a moment ago, I'm still kind of not necessarily like coming to terms with it, but getting getting used to it, you know, I should say. But yeah, I mean, it's 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 unavoidable. Even at the highest levels, there are many moments of compromise. So, yeah, it's just one of those things, just one of those things about the job. But you're so right, Chris, when you say that this is the stuff that they don't really teach you in film school and that you just have to learn on the job as you're doing it and then hopefully some of your mentors or more experienced friends can be able to like give you a heads up stuff to look out for so did that film as i said i think it looked wonderful it was a great piece oh thanks Noble. how did it <laughs> absolutely man yeah how did it feel afterward this guy from arizona making the big move to los angeles establishing yourself Doing that first feature, which had to have been a big deal for you, how did that, I guess, affect you in terms of your continued journey to, you know, further establish yourself in this town? It reaffirmed what I was feeling was right. Because mm. it took, I we moved out here in 2012. So for three years, I think the only thing I was shooting was like random sketches for actors. And mm. I would interview for movies, for features, and I wouldn't get them because, mm. and, but it was a catch 22 because you don't have any feature credits, so we don't want you shooting a feature. But how can I shoot a feature if you won't give me the opportunity to shoot a feature? <laughs> you know, what kind of fucked up back words way of thinking is that? And, Are you fucking with me? <laughs> right? It's like, is this a game? Are you... But uh, <laughs> is it okay? I'm sorry. Is it okay to cast? Yeah, I sometimes, for sure. I sometimes I, kind of forget where I'm at, and I just kind of go. No, I, that's the. I get that no, completely. You're fine, but it's uh, like exactly. It's like you know, someone applying for or interviewing for a, a corporate job, and you know, and they're like, well, you have to have three to five ex- years worth of experience but I can't get this job. You know, I'm fresh out of college. It's like, you know, how can I even get into this job if I don't have the experience? This is the experience. Like I, this, I have to be here in order to get the experience. It's interesting. I, I just, but no, go ahead. You hit the nail on the head with that. Cause I've run into that too before. Yeah. It's kind of crazy. And honestly, no matter how bad 
things get and how shitty people are, you're never going to get anywhere without the kindness of others. Somebody, mm-hmm. somebody has to roll the dice on you. Mm-hmm. It doesn't matter if you have all the potential in the world. Somebody has to be willing to look past that anemic looking resume you're sliding across the table at them. And they're just like, cool, you shot two music videos for bands I've never heard of and a sketch for an actor that was sort of funny. You know, why, why <laughs> should we hire you for this? What do you think is the thing that makes a person, you know, or sitting across from the table from you who looks at your resume, you know, who's seeing that you've only done a couple of sketches and a, a couple of music videos and they're just like, you know what? I'm going to give you a shot. Do you think that there's something like you think it's outside of the work that allows the person to roll the dice on you? Or what do you think that is? Honestly, I think it's 100% how you are in Mm. front of them. To me, there's a reason why we still do in-person interviews Mm. and not emailing back and forth or anything like that, because you lose that human element. Mm. And when a producer can look at you and see that, you know, you've spent the last three years humping sea stands and sandbags on set and you want so much more than just to do that. And you feel it in your bones mm-hmm. and you know it, you know it to be true. And if you can convey that to who you're interviewing with, I can't see how it would hurt you. Mm-hmm. I know in my particular case with fishes, I had gaffed a movie previous for that director. And she saw how I worked and she liked my personality and she just thought, well, why not? Yeah. I mean, I I just chime in and add on to what you were saying. I don't think I was telling Noble about this in other previous episodes. You know, I went to school, Noble and I went to school at the same time. I graduated a little bit before him within, uh, I think it was like 2015. I graduated my bachelor's in cinematography pursuing cinematography and wait wait i'm so sorry to interrupt you but did you okay this might be a full circle okay (laughs) steven did you work on dark corridors yeah at the time you worked on that so did i okay (laughs) what so did chris (laughs) okay (laughs) wow so we might have actually been on set together for at least a day or something yeah yeah that's crazy that's wild (laughs) yeah yeah so oh god i kind of lost my train of thought Way to go, Noble. Yeah, thanks, Noble. (laughs) It's all my fault. (laughs) Oh, like, I guess essentially what I was getting at was, you know, I've told Noble before, even though I, you know, went to school for cinematography, that's, you know, who I am and what I ultimately want to do. When I've had to take in jobs, multiple jobs, professionally on really big sets, really big projects in a different department, just so I can get on the set. You know what I right. mean? Just so that I can, it's mainly been in like locations. I've done, so I've done, look, a lot of locations work. I've done wardrobe. I've been um, a PA. I've done like just to get on a set as an extra in background, just to go so I can be there and then go over to camera or different departments to network and mingle. And it's like, it's interesting because I say all this to say, like, if you continually or running into the same people and still trying to, you know what I mean? Like tell them, Hey, I'm still trying to do camera and they see you more and more. And they seeing that you're serious about this. And like you said, you kind of eventually convince them of like, okay, let's just give this guy a shot. That's kind of ultimately what it comes down to. But when they give you that moment, you got to rise to the occasion. 
I 100% agree with you, Stephen. And you're, it's, the cream always rises to the top. And there are so many shitheads that work in this industry that make it really easy for people to rise up. Because as long as you care and you have a good attitude, I can't think of any department that wouldn't open itself up to you to at least, you know, try it for a little bit. Yeah. You know, Camera's I, hard, though. I will say that. I've banged my head against the wall to really, like, prove myself to get on a set or to just, like, I've spent copious amounts of hours <laughs> going to preps and, you know, all of that stuff, helping people and being going to the camera rental house and knocking on doors and all that stuff just for them to be like, oh, okay. You know, and it's like, fuck, like, okay, well, I got to come back tomorrow or ne- go the next week and see what else. But it's just kind of like, because each department is a community within a community. You know what I oh, mean? Oh, absolutely. So totally. when people see that, like, man, this guy's always at the rental house. He's not that. That's how I got one of my first big camera jobs. And it just threw me off because I had just been doing it. And it was just like another day where I didn't think anything of it. You know, one of my mentors, Emil Hampton, his resume is out of this world. I would always just ask, hey, what do you got going on? What are you prepping for? And he had a, a film that he was prepping for. And I went and helped him out at Pan Envision Atlanta. And then the, anything would happen. I just thought, you know, let me go you know, meet the assistants that were going to be there and help out label and, put, you know, make sure everything is good to go. And in the midst of, I think it was like the first day within a couple of hours, he realized that he was a, a short couple of people and he was going to need some extra hands. And he looked, turned and looked at me and was like, you want to work B camera? And I'm like, uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? And it was just like, and I, I had to like, I had to excuse myself. I went outside, I was like, holy shit, you know? And it was just like, <laughs> but it's just that consistency of like, it's like, it's almost insanity. You just have to continually bang your head against this wall. And then eventually you will randomly get a breakthrough. It's tough, but it just what it just seems like that's how it works. You know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, it's kind of like it's the smoke. It's the screen, the screening method for, for this industry. You know, yeah. shit's so tough. I feel like that's why they don't talk about it in film school, because they don't want to frighten you right out of the gates. Mm. But I wasn't prepared for a lot of the stuff that I was going <laughs> to run into. You know, like nobody in film school was like, all right, so when you can't make when you can't make rent for the second month in a row, you know, you're going to have to make a decision on whether groceries or gas is the way to go. You know, nobody, nobody prepares you for that, for for having to make that decision. Well, and I have a question for you now for the both of you guys, because this is really, really important, I think with what you're saying. And I don't think people who truly who are like going into film school, you know, the guys that are coming in behind us and all the guys and gals are coming in behind us. If they were, or if they did tell you about all the bad, all the type of decisions that you would have to make, like where you're just scraping along, barely getting by and you have to make life changing decisions in film school. Would, do you think you would have listened you know what I mean? Do you think that would have deterred you? Do you think you would have been like, yeah, whatever. It's not that bad. They're just saying that. Or do you think you really would have been like, oh, wow, like this is, I really need to reconsider. Like if I really want to go down this path, because I have friends and family who I've talked to who considered going to film or want to go the film route, you know, who are younger than me, who've seen that I've gone that route. 
And I'm like, are you sure you want to do this? <laughs> right. You know, what do you think? I'm a maniac. I'm truly a fucking maniac. <laughs> and there's nothing else on this planet that I would rather do. I mean, it's 12 hour days. Yeah. At, uh, at no least. Matter, no, at least. No matter what. And that's not even including the drive time and then having to, to deal with all the egos and the personas and all that extracurricular bullshit on set. So I don't think it would have deterred me. I would have been like, yeah, okay, whatever. This is what I want. Mm -hmm. And I think that's the biggest thing that if I, when I do talk to anybody who is younger than me, who's thinking about getting into film, I tell them you better want it. Mm -hmm. Cause if there's any part of you, if there's an inkling of you that wants to do something else, go do that. Mm -hmm. Cause this can be such a miserable <laughs> shitty yeah. life, but it's what I love. It's what I'm sure it's what you love and it's what noble mm -hmm. loves. So you're willing to kind of put up your tolerance is way higher than mm -hmm. somebody who's just kind of dipping a toe. Mm -hmm. Well, there's been multiple times. Where, I love, I was just going to say before you go, no, I was just, there's multiple times where yeah, I've yeah. been like, what am I doing? Am I fucking around? Have I been, have I just wasted my twenties? Like, have right? I spent 10 years? <laughs> Dude, Steven, I had that moment on a movie. I was shooting. I was, what I am was I sitting, doing? <laughs> right? I was sitting on an Apple box. I shit you not. I was sitting on an Apple box in Texas, in this small town in Texas. It was my third, fourth feature that I had shot at the time. And this movie was a fucking nightmare i have never experienced more bullshit in my entire life than i experienced on the five weeks of this movie and on this particular day we're shooting the kind of the climactic end scene for our movie and i find out at the start of the day i come walking up and the ad is standing there talking to the director and one of the producers and they all look you know really worried and i'm like oh fuck what's gonna happen and they pull me over and they go, okay, so this other producer who we'd been having issues with and who decided to go home didn't let anybody know that he granted one of our lead actors an opportunity to go audition for another thing. So we thought we had him for the next two days where we were going to shoot this end scene. And oh now gosh. we only have him for the day. And they're just like, all right, so how do you want to do this? And I'm like, uh... Let's not. Let's just fucking go home and call it that. Because this is, I don't know how the hell we're going to do this. But, you know, so what ends up happening is we work for 18 hours. It's on my birthday. It's my 29th birthday, uh, right? And wow. I'm sitting on this Apple box and I'm just experiencing all of the emotions of everybody's against me. I've had to fight tooth and nail for everything on this movie. And then this producer is so absent-minded that he's now going to shoot us in the foot in the for the end finale of this movie. <laughs> and I'm sitting on an Apple box and, you know, Genie's working and camera's setting up the camera. And I'm just sitting there and I'm like, you know, Jesus Christ, I could be back in Arizona making like $15 an hour stacking fruit in a produce department. Right. You know, maybe I have a couple of random shitty questions and terrible people to deal with, but you know, it's fine. I could be doing that right now instead of having to, you know, be away from my wife, be away from my friends and have to deal with yeah. shitty people. Yeah. And I thought about it for maybe 15 seconds. And then 
on the 16th second, I was like, ah, yeah, but I really love this shit. Yeah. So I guess I'll just have to eat another plate. Yeah, but- keep on moving. <laughs> yeah, we are a unique group of individuals. Like anyone who's been in, it's like, I don't know, maybe once you have been in film for, I don't know, over like maybe five or six years or something. And once you like really, it could be even sooner than that. But once you kind of understand that this is just, this is a shitty business. And <laughs> you have to be a certain type of person to really be like, God, I fucking hate this. I, as much as I hate it, I love it even more. Because it's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah it, bingo right there, what you said. But I love yeah. it more. You know, it's like, this sucks, but I love it more. And then the end result is you have that really gratifying, rewarding feeling when it's, I mean, just imagine what everyone felt on you know, the revenue, oh, yeah. you know, oh, films yeah, like yeah. that. So yeah, that is something that I've gone through many times where you're just sitting there. You're like, you know, it seems nice. The bu- <laughs> Consistency. <laughs> right. You know? Yeah. So, yeah. So we've, we've talked about going out for the job and passing along your skimpy looking resume and hopefully they hire you. We've talked about working on set in crazy conditions but what I want to get into now, Chris, with you is um, once you've got the job, what is your process of preparing mm. for the job? And I want to know a few things here. I want to know who is your, I don't want to make this sound weird, but like, what do you look for in a relationship with the director? And then how do you approach the work? And then also, what do you look for in crew when you're hiring okay. crew? Well, for directors, it's easy. I just need somebody who cares. I honestly don't care if you don't know what the shot name is called. If you confuse a close up with a medium shot, you know, that doesn't matter to me. What matters to me is that you give a shit because there are so many times where people are just there just to collect a paycheck or they're, it's a political hire or a bunch of other different reasons. And there is nothing shittier. Then when you're standing there and you're like, all right, so what are we thinking? You know, they're coming in through the door. You know, this just happened and this just happened. What do you think if we start here and move here? Maybe we do this. And they're just like, yeah, okay. <laughs> and you're like, no, but what do you think? And they're like, no, yeah, whatever you think. And it's like, ah, come on, man. Right. Like, fight me. Yeah. Just, like, this is I, the pro- part of the process. We need to make sure we're on the same page. Right. And one of the biggest things I do, as long as... I feel like sometimes I might come on too strong with a, a director I haven't worked with before or and I'm working with him for the first time. But my biggest thing is let's hammer out as much as we can now. Let's talk about our first, our second, our third, our fourth ideas now because that's all the surface level bullshit. Mm-hmm. I want to start diving deep. So when we're on set, we're talking about the sixth, seventh, eighth idea of what's happening. And now we're really kind of talking about the nitty gritty of how a character is feeling or how a scene should play out, you know, how it supports uh, or how a move can motivate something. And this is the biggest team sport that there is. Yeah. That's a good point. Yeah. It really um, is. It has <laughs> the most players in the list. Yep. It, it, the list can, you know, you can have a 500 man crew depending on the project and how long it lasts. Yep. So I'm sorry, I just had to jump in with that. But yeah, continue. no, yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, you know, I mean, you, you definitely had your share of of battle stories yeah. dealing with this kind of stuff. I mean, doesn't it suck 
when you have a director is just kind of there. Yeah. I mean, they're about as good as a ghost. Yeah. You might hear them in the background occasionally, but then they don't participate. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. It's just dealing with a lot of petty stuff. And like, for me personally, it's like kind of going to what Noble was asking. It's just like, what I mean, and also what you were saying, it's just kind of like, let's sit down now and take the time now ahead of time and prep to get on the same page as much as possible. And it's even like to build the rapport to where if the plans that we had, the first three, four, five ideas that we had revolving around this sequence or setup, you know, fall to the wayside, we at least know and trust each other enough to be like, okay, we were on the same page for these three or four things. We kind of trust each other or we know that we're on the same page. So whatever Chris or Noble comes up with, I could just kind of let him go do his thing. You know, it's just like, okay, you, okay, all right, cool. Yeah. You know, or if not, you could still sit there and have a moment to be like, well, why would we do that? You know what I mean? Or we actually can approach that. We can't shoot it that way. Is that technically jumping in line? Would that line up? You know what I mean? Is this going to match? And going into those type of things, it's just like, okay, that's like even more kind of tedious making sure going into the details making sure you're on the same page with all on that type of level because story-wise you could be there on the same page but then from the technical because it's the flow of from the technical side and then also just from the storytelling side you know you could have a great idea story-wise but if you can't really execute it from a technical standpoint or if it doesn't make sense then you kind of almost have to just scrap that whole idea because you're just like it's not going to make sense it's not going to match you know so what else can we do Oh, totally. I mean, there's so much that goes into it. And I think one thing that I hardly ever hear anybody really talk about, and it's so tough to do, especially with the schedules the way they are these days, where it's you're making movies in 10, 11, 12 days, and maintaining a continuity of look is so tough. Because hardly ever are we getting to shoot like a scene back to back. Like, it's never, you know, day one, scene one, let's start. Uh It's always like, all right, we're going to, it's, you know, the first day of shooting. Let's go ahead and start with scene 76. (laughs) And then, you know, at the end of 76, she screams fright and runs out of the room. And then 77 is her running, continuously running into another scene where she finds a murderer. But scene 77 is not shot for another three and a half weeks. (laughs) Right. So now you're like, oh, fuck, what did I do for 76 again? Mm. And if you can't kind of work that stuff out and prep and find a rhythm, you know, you're going to get lost and your movie's not going to make sense. It's just going to seem like it just kind of nonsensically flows from scene to scene. Right. But yeah, I'm sorry. I feel like I'm on a pedestal doing talking about this stuff. <laughs> this is, this is, but it, that, that's the point of this podcast is to, this podcast for our special guest is a big soapbox. We want to hear your philosophy, and we're here to help people to understand cinematography from a number of different perspectives. And, you know, so that's why you're here, man. So uh, <laughs> make the most of mm-hmm. it. Yeah. So you mentioned earlier that, or Stephen actually said that it's like the biggest team sport working on a film. Mm-hmm. And I couldn't agree more. So take us through, because I know that you. I guess, prefer to work with a lot of the same people. And I think that's something that a lot of cinematographers like to do. I mean, why not? But 
can you just kind of break down for us in your experience, like, what is it, what is the value of having a team working with you, working for you that is also, you know, kind of like friend and family at the same time? Well, I mean, we're spending so much time with each other. Mm-hmm. And if we're doing a movie, you know, like that movie I did in Texas, all of camera and all of G&E and myself lived in a house. So for five weeks, we were all basically roommates with each other. And if you don't like each other, it can be an absolute nightmare. So it's pretty, it's important to me that I like you just out of the gates. I want to be able to, I don't necessarily need to fall in love with you or, you know, feel the need to invite you to family events, but I need to like you. And once I kind of, I can get a, a, just a vibe. Usually whenever I've had to interview for crew, like a gaffer or a key grip, usually I hardly talk about movies for the first 30 minutes, 40 minutes. I'm usually just kind of bullshitting about them and wanting to know more about them Mm -hmm. and just kind of talking about, you know, stuff that we've done. We have something similar in our history. Like both our dads are kind of crazy. So we we're swapping crazy dad stories, Mm -hmm. you know, stuff like that. And you start to kind of get a rhythm of somebody. And, you know, once I kind of, I start getting that vibe off of them. Well, then that's when we start kind of talking about, well, you know, so here's the movie and this is what, you know, we're thinking about doing, you know, how do you feel about that? And kind of going more into the nitty gritty technical side of stuff, but it kind of harkens back to that moment when you're, you're sitting there with the the skinny resume and the producer's looking at Mm. you. Does he sense the passion, the hunger, does he sense that this matters to you? I think you can um, tell a lot about a person, or I should say a, a person or filmmaker, you know, by the films that they love and admire. You know, he talk about, well, what's some of your favorite films? Obviously, the list is endless, but it's all circumstantial. But if a person, I may catch some flack about this. I don't really give a shit. But if a person is saying, like, their favorite films, are they rattling off Marvel movies? It's superhero films. They're great, but it's like it's a different type of person if you're going in and you're talking about some classics, you know, some straight bangers, sure. you know, versus someone saying you could. It, and then also, just like if a person is able to to kind of with your process, Chris, if you're you know when you're talking, you're kind of feeling this person out, and as you're seeing, you're hearing maybe some of their war stories and then you ask them you know, what some of their favorite shots or sequences or scenes from films and stuff like that. And they're, they're giving you some stuff that maybe you've never heard of or, you know, they know a lot about cinema history or they're, they're taking it back to some old like Citizen Kane type stuff or foreign films. That just lets you know where they are as a person as far as filmmaking. And that kind of can offset the resume, like you said, the skinny resume. They may not have had a lot of opportunities or have done a lot of little stuff, but that doesn't mean that they don't know cinema. They don't know production. And it's just kind of like, yeah, you were kind of maybe for me personally, it's kind of like, ah, okay, this guy, let's see what this guy's kind of made out of, you know? No, I get what you're saying. And I think it also, it's kind of, it's well, it's not kind of, I think it absolutely subjective because one of my favorite gaffers that i've ever worked with his favorite movie 
of all time is Smokey and the Bandit. And Smokey and the Bandit's not Citizen Kane and it's not this Herald movie. Right. But he loves Smokey and the Bandit. And when I asked him why, he said, because Burt Reynolds is a bad motherfucker. That's why. And I was all like, right. all right. Yeah, I can get down yeah. with that. <laughs> okay. You're, I don't know what it is about this guy, but I fucking like him. <laughs> right? He digs it. For some people, it could be – it's crazy because it even – I think it even goes even further into how you talk with a director. Because I've had directors who would talk to me and use – paintings mm. as references and they would talk about the 18th century movement and French new wave. And they loved how Monet would capture early morning light. And then I've had directors look at me and then like, Hey man, did you ever see NFL films covered a game against, it was the Packers and the Niners. <laughs> it was the 1995 championship game. And the fucking angle they got of this ball kind of coming in, like when it catches that flare, like that's what I'm looking mm. for. And it's your job as a cinematographer to be able to understand what the guy talking about the painting right. is feeling and what the guy talking about or what the person's talking about with the, with NFL films is trying to yeah. say. It's crazy and vast how people communicate. And it's kind of as a, I feel like as a cinematographer, it's your responsibility to figure out how somebody communicates and work within that realm. Whether, you know, that means that it's in your hip pocket where you're like, oh, yeah, fuck, yeah, I'm on the same page or, you know, having to step out of your comfort zone, like, you know, paintings for me, like I think I absolutely see the artistry in paintings, but I have zero patience to go to any kind of gallery and look at a painting and but what so what does so 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 what does inspire you, Chris? Is it other art in different forms? Is it things from your own life, from your own environment? What gives you that sort of creative boost? You know, honestly, it's <laughs> it's funny. I've There's so much that could inspire me or might inspire me. But honestly, for me, I go on walks every mm. night. I probably mm. walk for, I don't know, five and a half miles a day. Mm. And I usually do it at night which has kind of taken my life in my own hands, walking around Los Angeles late at night. But what it does is I don't listen to anything. I don't, I don't listen to podcasts. Mm. You know, I rarely talk to anybody. I just walk and I just look at the city because nine times out of 10, when we're working, we're trying to find a way to realistically light a scene, mm -hmm. right? There's got to be mm. a certain level of realism to how we're lighting. And Walking around at night, you see it. Why does night exterior, you know, obviously it's night. I know it's night, but why does it look like night? What makes this look so good to my eye? And why can't I do this when I'm lighting a night exterior? You know, and hardly ever am I walking around and there's just a giant back lighting me and the streets are fucking wet. So they're glistening <laughs> as the light catches it. You know, I've never, I've never come across it in all of the walks I've gone on in Los Angeles, but what I do see is depth. I see depth. Mm. I see lighting all the way down and not necessarily lighting me, but lighting buildings or lighting trees. Right. Just creating that sense of depth is what sells night to me. So now whenever I'm lighting a night exterior, I always have that in the back of my head. I always think about, oh yeah, that one street I turned down and there was these pockets of light. And even though it was dark, 
there was all this depth and a sense of space because of where all the light was. I was just going to say that makes me think of whenever you're shooting location or lighting for a location or, or what have you, do you think that you like to light for the space or you light for the actors? You know, that's a great fucking question, Stephen. I have had to, in my heart of hearts, I light for the location. Uh-huh. But sometimes you deal with particular actors. Uh-huh. You know, again, I won't name any names, but I've experienced actresses who don't care what's uh-huh. happening in the scene. Uh-huh. It's They're not interested in what's happening in the scene. They want to look great. Uh-huh. And God damn it, you're going to make me look great. And... There's this fight that you have to have, the struggle of, well, I want to tell the story. My job is to tell the story. But, you know, one of those little side, those little side asterisk jobs as the DP is taking care of your actors. And sometimes you have to forfeit or compromise how you want to light a scene in order to light your talent. And... I've had to do it, you know, and I've had actresses extremely happy with how they look and throw their arms around me and be excited. And I can't help but feel a little empty because <laughs> I feel like all I've done is cater to somebody's base needs. Right. And but on the flip side, you know, as an actor, they're almost completely judged on how they look mm-hmm. and how they are. Mm-hmm. So, you know, like, is it shitty? Absolutely. But it's a reality. Yeah. And, you know, sometimes you have to deal with it head on. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's interesting. Well, within that, I mean, I, I've kind of got a thought about this um, based off of your experiences and what we talked about with making the decisions that we've had to make and working with other directors and other filmmakers and stuff like that. Chris, who inspires you? Like, who do you have like a top three? Actually, before I even get into that, I just want to say one thing to piggyback off of the question that Noble asked. Noble, I don't mm-hmm. even think you realize you did this. There's been so many times with this guy has influenced me and he doesn't even know it. I remember one time we were in film school, we were talking, we were having a discussion and early on, I was having kind of some doubts about being a cinematographer and you know, I remember Noble, you said something along the lines of like, you know, you just like to, you realize that you like to look at, or you'd be walking down the street and you would like to look at like the shadows on the street from lamp post. And you would look at how the light cascades down the side of a building and something like that. I'm like, and I was like, the fuck is this guy? Like, what is he talking? <laughs> like, what? You know what I mean? And as I've continued over time, and the more I've worked and stuff I've worked on, whether it's been in camera or not, I do find myself, whether I'm on a set or just at home or doing something I, like you, Chris, I kind of find myself just looking, people watching, taking photos, looking at how light hits someone, you know, it, during sunsets, sunrises, lights coming through the glass. You know what I mean? I, I'm getting up much earlier now than I have ever before. And I'm actually looking at the night light or moonlight and i'm just thinking like the color the hue of the the reflection of the moon lighting the the us the earth and i'm like what shade of blue is this what color is this really because i've seen people use cyan blue which i'm like 
is this cyan blue or is this a shade or two off of of this you know what i mean like how are the shadows hitting you know what i mean is it the source of it it's just i'm asking these questions to myself and i'm at you know i'm thinking about all this different these things to myself on, on my own or if i'm out and about i'm looking at how shadows are on people's faces and I really never did that until Noble, you kind of influenced me and said that. And I was like, dang, I never really took the time to really be in the moment or be present and look at those things. So I just wanted to say thank you for that. But Chris, secondly, the question that I had was in relation to who inspires you, do you have like a top three, you know, as far as like cinematographers? that you really admire or like top five or whoever who you really are like, I'm really loving this person's work right now. Oh yeah. There's several right now. I mean, blow my mind away with what they're doing. I mean, there's always the kind of the stalwarts of the industry, like a Roger Deakins. Mm-hmm. I think like, he's on everybody's list. <laughs> right. He's on everybody's list. Yeah. So it almost kind of feels like a given. Yeah. But I think right now I'm a big fan of Bradford Young. Mm-hmm. And I really like Greg Frazier. Greg Frazier. Quite a bit. What has he done? I'm not familiar with his his Uh, Greg Frazier, he did... The first time I saw a movie that he did, he did a movie called Bright Star. And it's just a movie about John Keats, this poet in the 18th century. And it's kind of a... It was an okay movie, but his photography really stood out to me. And then he did a movie called Let Me In which is the American version of the mm. Swedish film, Let the Right One In. Mm. Right, right. And it was amazing. I, like, I still go back and I'll just watch that movie. Delicious, oh, yeah, right? it's, a, it's incredible. And the original, too. Hoyt Van Hama, who shot the original, is great, too. It's so stark in its own way. But Greg Frazier's use of color and I respond to darkness. Mm-hmm. I, yeah, I love... That's why Bradford Young really sticks out to me. Mm. You know, Ain't Them Body Saints. It's underexposure throughout, but it's so, feels like there's so much intent behind it. It's not just like, oh, he's lazy and he didn't want to turn on a light. Mm-hmm. There's a reason. There's a reason yeah. why he did it this way. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. that's the point. That's the point. It has to be that, it has to be rooted in logic and, and something that makes sense as opposed to, you know, something that could be construed as a mistake or as laziness. But I think as as far as underexposure, or as he likes to say, call it just generally darkness, it's like he's mm. he's very successful with that. Yeah, oh, totally. And the thing that pisses me off, and I hear this a lot, and I know there's a lot of a lot of people who I respect who say this, and it, but it bothers me, is I keep hearing people say, oh, yeah, no, that's the correct exposure. That's at the correct exposure. And mm. it's like, well, what does that mean? Right. What the fuck right. is correct exposure? What, because my waveform looks like a mountain? <laughs> like, you are you think it's correct? Like, correct correct is bullshit. Yeah. Is it, is it right for what's happening? Mm-hmm. I think we and, can get hung up on that, too. You know, like, what's, you know, from a technical standpoint, what's correct, what's proper. But if it doesn't serve the story, then what are we talking about here? Yep. I mean, it's, I, I beat this with, I just into submission over and over and over again whenever I talk to any director. And that story, I care solely about the story. If I'm not pushing the story, if I'm not pushing the characters, then all I'm doing is standing in the way of the fucking story. And people who shoot for their reels, 
you know, they just set up a really great, pretty shot. And you're like, why are you doing that? You know, why is the, why do you frame it that way? And they're like, oh, because it looks cool. And it's like, well, what the fuck does that mean? Yeah. <laughs> it just, it bothers me on a molecular level. And yeah. yeah. <laughs> so after all of your experience, which is extensive, after everything that you've learned at this point, I want to ask you, what is the best piece of advice that you can remember that you received within this cinematography world? And then for the aspiring cinematographers out there, what's some advice that you would give them now? So I have a mentor. His name is Jason Carruthers. And I think Mm -hmm. he is unbelievably talented from top to bottom, not just how he can light a scene, but how he interacts with his crew or interacts with the director or the producers or or other, you know, the production designer, wardrobe, you name it. And he told me when I first met him in film school, he came and mentored me on a, on a thesis project that I was shooting. And he told me that most of your job as a cinematographer has nothing to do with lighting or shooting the movie. And I remember thinking like, what do you mean? Like, that is our job. And he's like, you're right. It is our job. But there is so much more to this job than just that. And the sooner you realize that, the sooner you're going to find yourself becoming more successful. Mm. I mean, in a given day, he kept track one day for me just so he could show me how many questions I was asked Mm. on one 12 hour day as a director of photography on a film school project. And at the end of the day, he came up to me and he goes, you know how many questions you were asked? And I go, how many? And he goes, 1,500. Whoa. I mean, think about it. Hey, do you like this or do you like this? Should this be here or should this be here? You know, do you want the light like this or like this? You are constantly being bombarded Mm -hmm. with questions and you got to know the answers or at least be able to navigate to to an answer and that has nothing to do with the reason why i'm shooting with cook lenses or why i'm i'm using this particular light but it's a huge part of the job is dealing with other departments and dealing with these questions and being able to collaborate and be clear and communicate and also kind of understand that time is of the essence and you can't lose track of time you always got to be cognizant of it But I mean, he's always kind of hit me with that like Miyagi level type of wisdom where I'm just like, well, that doesn't make any sense. And he's like, oh, it will. Just give it a minute and I'll go work for a year or two. And I'm like, fuck, that's what he was talking about. (laughs) And (laughs) but it's something that I've always kept in the back of my mind that it's not just about lighting and shooting a movie. I think if I had to pass any advice to an up-and-coming cinematographer, it would be... Don't do it. No. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Go do something. Go be happy doing something else. <laughs> you sure you want to do this? <laughs> yeah, right? Do you see the look in my eye? I'm 33 years old and I have gray fucking hair and bags that you could load up with Man. under my eyes. Do you, are you sure you want to do this? walk away (laughs) right (laughs) (laughs) so after we i'd say that and get a laugh i would tell him 
focus on learning. You never stop learning. Technology is always changing. Cameras are always changing. Sensors are always changing. There's always a different light. There's always something happening. And you got to be aware of it. But most importantly, understand your craft. You know, understand why you don't shoot an entire movie in close-ups or why you do. Mm. You know, you got to be able to let go of ego. You know, ego kills us all at one point or another. You know, my pride has absolutely crippled me in moments of my career. And, you know, the more I understand that, the more I can kind of deal with it and move forward. But never stop learning. Never accept that you've done your best because you probably haven't. I look at movies from two years ago or even a year ago where I was like, wow, I did a really good job with this. I feel pretty good about it. And I look at it now and I'm like, what the fuck was I mm -hmm. thinking? Like, what was that? You got to be your own worst critic because the minute you start drinking your own Kool-Aid, you're fucked. Mm. And there's nothing worse than somebody who loves the smell of themselves in a room. Yeah. And yeah. I mean, I was just going to say Noble. I think that, or Chris, Noble and I have kind of all both kind of reached that conclusion ourselves, but just being our own worst critic, you know, it's like, no, it's when you shoot something and then you screen it or you're looking at it and some people, oh, this looks great. And you're like, yeah, but I kind of, you know, this key, I kind of wanted it to be a little bit more over here or this is a little too sourcey. And they don't, they don't see all that, you know, the viewers, they don't see all that stuff. You know, and it's really interesting, but you're just like, yeah, it's okay, but it could have been so much better. I could have done this or I could have done that. But one thing I, I think I've come to understand, and for me, Chris, I've taken time to step away from film for a little bit because I had some family stuff going on. But my mm -hmm. thing is, like, even being away from it for as long as I have been, this is the longest I think I've been away from film, and it's helped me appreciate it a lot more. And... It's just kind of one of those things where I think, yeah, it's just you appreciate it more. You kind of get to a space to where you're just like, okay, like, I know that this is kind of just what all comes with it. You know, I'm my own worst critic. I love this stuff. It's crazy. It's hard on you. But this is the game. This is the game that we chose. You know, this is the path that we chose to go down. And... Like you said, man, it's never ending. It's a continual learning process and you have to continually learn about the technology and the sensors and the cameras and the new lights and all the equipment and all this stuff and stuff gets intimidating and all that, but it's just kind of part of it. And you continually grow, you know, it's almost in correlation with this life in general. Agreed. And not only to, to, to say all that, but I would also add, when you go work on set, it's not like that's not a time for you just to kind of fuck off. Yeah. That's another great place to kind of learn, you know, whether it be good things to do or look at things that you shouldn't mm -hmm. do. Have you ever noticed that in your experience when you're on set? Like you just you can't help but like maybe sneak a look at the monitor and you're like, oh, okay. oh yeah, that's kind of interesting. Mm -hmm. Especially with me being like the times, the instances where I've worked in other departments, mainly locations where I've been able to you have, you know, a little bit, a substantial amount of downtime um, once you kind of get rolling. And if it's in one location, you're going to be there for a while. That's how I've 
been able to build some of the relationships is I just spent all my free time going over to camera and talking to these guys and girls and making myself known and oh what are you doing what's that what you know, what does this do da, 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 da. you know and they eventually and you continue you start to run into these people more and more you walk on a set and you're seeing these these people and they're just like oh shit like you know this guy's serious okay cool he's here what are you doing here oh, man you know I'm out here this is what I'm trying to do you know I'm serious about this. And you get to go and you look at monitors and you're looking and I'm talking to the ACs and I'm like, oh, that's interesting. Or if you had that type of relationship with the DP, you can, you know, approach the DP because I've been able to go on some sets where I wasn't even crew. I just had a relationship with the DP and I'm on there and I'm just looking at the monitor. But I'm like, so what's the purpose behind this? Why are you lighting it this way? What's, you know, what are you using? Da, 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 da. And you just kind of take in more and more information. You know, it's a, it's a continual, never-ending thing. Absolutely. And and how many times when you've been asking those questions that they you could tell that they sensed how honest you were being? It wasn't just kind of like you making small talk. Like, you were legitimately interested. Mm-hmm. And you were asking a question, and they didn't even bat an eye and answer. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, they, it's the whole, it was the whole purpose of me even getting here in the first place. I don't really, it's, it's, it sucks to say, but me being 100% honest, I could give two shits about working in locations or working in another department. I'm not here for that. I'm here for this over here. But while I'm working right. on this, I come over here and you see I'm serious and I'm asking, you know, I don't want to step on any toes or pull you away from what it is that you need to do. You need to focus, you know, on the job at hand. But I just want to be in the space. I just want to learn. I want to ask questions. Why? What's the purpose? Why are you doing this? Oh, well, what did you use this space light instead of this Leco? What, you know what I mean? It's just random things. It's just like, well, what did you go over here for? Like, what? Oh, well, why did you, you know? And it's like, if you, you just keep asking and you kind of keep, again, banging your head against this wall and asking these questions, you know, it's just kind of like a, they see that you're not, you're not kidding. You know, they're like, okay, this guy is actually trying to learn something. He's here. He's trying to be here. He's not even on this shoot. He's not being paid for his time, but yet he's still showing up and putting himself out there and trying to learn. And it may take some time. You know, people notice that. They see that. So Totally. No, I was just I was actually just about to say that was one of the things that always struck me most about uh Noble was his sensitivity of knowing when to ask the question and when to just kind of be just not say anything and just kind of be in the background. And I can't help but think that because of Noble's sensitivity to that kind of stuff, that he's at the place that he's at in his career. Because Noble, you're a hell of a DP. Steven, I haven't seen anything that you've done, but just talking to you, it seems like you're, you'd be pretty rad to work with. And and that you'll do really good stuff. But just knowing Noble the way that I have and seeing his work develop, mm-hmm. he's a shining example of what happens when you are dogged in your determination and you are, you know, you're kind of, your excitement is palpable to the people that you're talking to. Mm-hmm. And that's one of the reasons, because when I met Noble, I mean, Jesus, Noble, you were what, 17? Did you turn 18 on that movie? No, I turned 18 on Between the Miles. So I was already 18, but I was on my way to film school. And, you know, I'm on that shoot and I'm just, nothing could be better right now than for me to be 
I don't even know what like cinematography was at that point, you know, but <laughs> I'm sure I, there are probably a few good times where I probably got on your nerves with my enthusiasm, but <laughs> yeah, it was, uh, when you know that you're in a place that you feel like you belong and that you've always sort of wanted to be there, then it just kicks this instinct in you that just makes you so observant, so hyper absorbent to information and to learning from your mistakes and that you just want to make the most out of every single thing that happens. Yeah. Cause you never know when that next opportunity is going to come. Exactly. Yeah. And while we're on the subject of, I guess, self-refinement as sort of a, a last question to you, Chris, cause we're going to wrap it up here in a second. I just wanted to know, what do you do? Well, I should say, do you have, some rituals or or some things that you like to do in between the work to elevate yourself or to further your skills in preparation for the next thing that comes? You know, I've never really talked about this. I don't think with anybody. I mean, my wife knows about it just because, you know, she's my wife, but I will watch movies with the sound off and I'll just kind of me too. And Mm -hmm. it's, isn't it crazy how much you can learn when you're just kind of watching and you're like, that's why I was feeling that Mm -hmm. way when I was Mm -hmm. watching this. I tell people to do um, that all the time. From a visual it, standpoint, I'm like, watch it, watch mm-hmm. it with the sound off. And they're like, oh, I never thought. But I learned about that in high school, which is crazy. In uh, doing the media studies or whatever I was taking, they had us watch a show, forget what it was. And they were like, put it on mute and watch it. And that, that from that point on, I was like, holy hell, this is completely, you know, they were like, what does this episode feel like? Or what does this show feel like based off of what you see? not knowing what you turning the sound off and then, and then like you said when you watch a film and you turn the sound off especially if it's a film that you know and love like you thoroughly know it's like watch it again but watch it with the sound off it's a completely different experience it's 100 percent a different experience and that's all you're doing at this point is you're you're studying game footage mm-hmm. right you're looking at somebody who you respect or somebody's work that you really like and you're watching, you're literally watching thought process, you know, ideally. And, you know, the takeaways and the discoveries that you make when you're watching absolutely inform you. Or at least for me, it informs me when I move forward, whenever I get an opportunity to shoot. But That's amazing. And to my, I don't know, shame... Yeah, man. I have to try that. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Like, I just yeah. off the top of my head, one sequence that just came to mind as we were talking about this is have you guys seen Drive, right? Ryan Gosling? Oh, Drive is one of my favorite yeah, movies. Yeah, yeah. Me time. too, man. And there's a sequence. I mean, there's so many different sequences in that film, but there's a sequence in particular that just kind of made me be like, holy shit, is when he was in the diner and the guy walked up to him and was like, hey, you know, you drove me and my brother. And, you know, we got away last time, but he got, we, we did a job where we used a different driver. You know, he got busted and he got killed and all this other stuff. And then Ryan Gosling is just sitting there eating his food. And all of a sudden he just turns and looks at the guy with that death stare. And it was just like, how about this? And then the camera just pushes in on him. And he's like, how about I just kick your, you know, how about you get out of my face or I kick your teeth down your throat or something and shut it for you or something like that. And it was just like, just the simple they would have played completely differently if they didn't do that push in. 
But the fact that they did that move, that maneuver, and then I watched it again on mute, and I was just like, it still has the intensity. It's just like, I don't know what's going on right now, but I can tell you it's not good. <laughs> like, it was very, right. very intense. Yeah, for sure. Well, and how about the choice to just stay on mm-hmm. him? They never go to that yeah. guy. Yeah. So, like, he's just talking, and you're just staring at Gosling, mm-hmm. and then Gosling threatens mm-hmm. him. And then they never cut back to him. They just hang there because yeah. it doesn't fucking mm-hmm. matter what that guy says mm-hmm. or does. Mm-hmm. And that's a that's ah. a strong, very strong conscious decision. Like you have to. That's like no, we're gonna stay on him. That's all we. Need. It's like almost like we're just gonna shoot this. That's all we need. We don't even need anything else after this. This is the final shot. <laughs> you know, we don't right? need to get oh. coverage. Oh, dude, 100%. I mean, Gordon Willis, who I think is one of the all-time best cinematographers, he had a quote where he said, I don't like shooting options. I like shooting ideas. Mm. And you find yourself shooting all this fucking coverage of a scene, and you're like, why are we doing this? Mm. Like, why are we giving so much shit to the editor where they can just kind of, you know, is it because we don't know what we're doing? Like, we don't know what direction the scene is, so might as well just shoot all of it. And let the editor figure it out. Like, what are we doing? And Drive is a great example of an of economy of shooting. Like, there's so little dialogue and there's so little coverage mm-hmm. of that movie. And it is phenomenal. I love that movie. I'd fight anybody who would say opposite, mm-hmm. even though this is a subjective art. <laughs> <laughs> That's amazing, man. And by the way, thank you for sharing that little tidbit with us. And so many words of wisdom that we've heard today. This has been a really good one today, folks. Chris Bond, we could talk to you for hours upon hours upon hours. Yeah. Steven, I told you this mind. would be a good yeah. one, man. And it, it definitely was. So hopefully somewhere down the line, we can have you back for a part two. I, I would love that. I absolutely, I love talking about this stuff. <laughs> Wonderful. And congrats yeah, on your podcast. Thank you. Thank you, guys. Appreciate <laughs> one last thing before we go, um, Chris, I don't know if you're on any social media or if you you know let the people know where they can follow you or you know whatever uh, if you have a website they can check out or if you're on Instagram Twitter Facebook or and then also um, the last thing that you've done and if you have anything coming up yeah I so I'm trying to get better because I'm a fossil when it comes to social media and promoting myself but on Instagram I'm Chris Bond DP. And then my website is chrisbondcinematographer.com. I don't have a Twitter account. And uh, actually, I just got done in October shooting another feature called A Deadly Deed. And hopefully it'll be out sometime in the spring. Nice. Amazing. Well, Chris, man, we really appreciate it again. And, you know, Noble again, as always, my brother, it's always been a pleasure. This has been a phenomenal conversation. You guys make sure you go follow Chris. This guy knows exactly what he's talking about. You can tell just from the conversation. As always, you guys stay healthy, stay safe, and keep shooting. And we'll catch you on the next one.